biggest barrier that, that I see that prevents people from getting off of the sidelines and into the game is this idea that you need to have this uh, never before seen, like super innovative uh, business idea to get started, where I think those types of ideas are often too heavy for liftoff. That's Nick Loper, an author, entrepreneur, and lifelong student in the game of business. He's chief side hustler at SideHustleNation.com, the number one community and resource for side hustle ideas and part-time entrepreneurs on the path to financial independence. He's also the host of the top-rated podcast, The Side Hustle Show, and happens to be someone who is obsessed with progress. Nick chose to pursue the side hustle life because he wanted freedom that the corporate life didn't give him. While this is a path that many may be interested in pursuing, others may choose to start a side hustle or side hustles on top of a day job to fulfill their long-term work-life goals. But so often, getting started can be the hardest part. Yet, Nick shares that you don't have to have the big idea to get the ball rolling. You don't need to have something crazy, new, or innovative. Um, And in fact, it often is riskier to go down that path. Instead, where I would suggest to go is like, look at what what people are already spending money on. And maybe you could find either uh, a way to serve a slightly different market and maybe put your own unique spin on it. But you don't have to uh, totally reinvent the wheel. And, you know, the common example is like, well, just look around. How many dry cleaners are in your town? How many... Uh, sushi restaurants are in your town, right? It's like the same basic business model, but they just do it slightly differently. They serve a little bit of a different audience or different segment, and they're kind of off to the races there. So I think uh, that's something that really prevents people from getting stuck. It's like, well, no, you don't need something totally new. So what does it take to create that forward momentum? How can you start applying that concept of optimizing for interesting that we learned from last week's guest, Dory Clark, which can help you figure out how to start building your own career mashup with a side hustle or tell you when something doesn't work for you at all. Welcome to Strategic Momentum, the podcast that helps you achieve meaningful work-life fit in an ever-changing world through the inspiring stories, actionable tips, and pragmatic advice behind those that found it. I'm your host, Connie Steele. A lot of businesses share income reports with their shareholders, but our guest today, Nick Loper, shares a quarterly progress report with his community, Side Hustle Nation. And in his 2020 annual progress review, Nick wrote, to me, progress means forward motion or actively taking the steps to improve each day. It's one thing we can control. Progress is universal. Everyone can make progress toward their goals in some meaningful way, however small the steps may seem. I love it. And I love that Nick chose to share these reports. It's walking the walk, not just because he's growing his businesses, but because he's living life with an experimenter's mindset, testing out a bunch of new experiments, those side hustles, and putting in a little effort every day to create his version of success. So many of us want to try something new, but we can often get stuck before we take the first step of this journey. Nick offers insights on what those side hustle options are and how to take those first steps the most difficult ones, towards control and freedom. Because our goal at the end of the day should be to figure out what sort of life fits us best, one small test at a time. Thanks so much, Nick, for joining us today. What's going on? Thanks for having me. (laughs) 
I know you have so much going on in your life. And so I'm so privileged to have you on. Um, so it'd be so great if you could share your career journey and those important milestones that have led you to where you are today. Oh, I love talking about like these uh, decision points, these forks in the road. One of the formative ones, actually a couple kind of in the college era, um, it maybe makes sense to start there. Like that's like the start of adulthood, right? Yeah. Um, I was really grateful <laughs> to have uh, a couple uh, formative experiences there. The first was a house painting internship uh, with a company called Co- College Works Painting. And so there's uh, a handful of these outfits across the country. Uh, College Pro is one, Student Painters is another, but they operate in such a way where they kind of assign you a territory, assign you a zip code and say, all right, go paint as many houses as you can. We're going to teach you how to estimate jobs. We'll teach you how to get this stuff done. Um, but but have at it. And that was my first taste of working for profits and not wages. That was my first taste of like really being in charge of my own destiny rather than just punching the clock and collecting a paycheck. It was uh, really at once the most like stressful thing because it's like you know a bunch of nineteen year olds with paint sprayers like oh you know what can go wrong will go wrong in a lot of ways but it was also really rewarding to stand back uh, at the end of the week and say look look we made a legit transformation on this house and then you know we did that 20 25 times over the course of the summer um so that was really fun the second thing that also happened in college and this was my first introduction to the online world and e-commerce and affiliate marketing and pay-per-click advertising and seo was this internship with an online shoe seller, an online shoe retailer that um, actually started as you know this old family-run brick-and-mortar shoe store in Seattle that had the wild and crazy idea, like in the early days of the internet, to well, let's put some of our inventory up on this internet thing and see if anybody uh, finds it. And so, by the time I came on as their marketing intern, the online side of their business had grown by uh, leaps and bounds, and then actually parlayed into my you know, first, you know, official side hustles after graduation, I did what you're supposed to do, got a real job, but was selling shoes as an affiliate uh, on the internet by nights and weekends. And eventually had built that up to the point where uh, I was able to, to quit that corporate job and uh, become the full-time internet shoe guy, which I naively thought like, this, this could be my thing. Like I could just do this, be fine. Uh, but like a lot of businesses kind of had a finite lifespan, where um, I was really grateful to have started another half dozen side projects on on the side from that after quitting my job, um, most of which, for full disclosure, were total flops, total failures. They you know died a quiet death in some dark corner of the internet. But a couple of those projects um, that did stick around, one was uh, a directory and review site for uh, virtual assistants and outsourcing companies. That was called virtualassistantassistant.com, which I just sold um, late last year. And the other one was the Side Hustle Nation blog and podcast, which started in 2013 and kind of has become the main uh, focus of late. So there's the there's a career journey in uh, in a nutshell. Well, it really shows this really interesting shift from initially a linear path. We do everything that we're told or that was believed to be the right trajectory, right? Great school, get a good job and so forth. But this really interesting path of experimentation to figure out where there are different opportunities. And so having been someone who has recognized the value of side hustling and even doing multiple things at once, 
How do you feel your career mashups, as I like to call it, because you've had lots of different combinations throughout the years, how has it really enabled you to reflect your whole self? Because let's face it, we are all not, we're not one-dimensional, we're multidimensional. It is. It's kind of funny to think, you know, we're kind of trained to be you know, really specialists in, in a given area. And that was stressful, like going through school, like, what do you, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's still like a stressful question. It's like, happy, excited. Like, I don't know, we're, we're trained to think of it in terms of a job role, but it doesn't necessarily uh, have to be that way. So I don't know about, um, you know, reflecting my whole self, but I am really grateful to have had the opportunity to test and experiment with a bunch of different things. And you kind of find what you like, what you don't like, and you do, you do more of the one thing and less of the other thing. And eventually it kind of starts to, starts to stack up and you start to see the compound effect of those efforts, if that makes sense. In today's new world of work, having that side hustle or apparel pathing multiple efforts is really becoming more of the norm versus the exception. You know, you certainly see statistics out there where there are, well, depending on which is the source that you look at, right? There could be 50 plus percent, 60 plus percent of people who have already had a side hustle or are doing a side hustle or plan to do a side hustle. And it's just reflecting that the career trajectory isn't that singular destination anymore. And people are moving away from that singular linear fashion up the, up the ladder, right? They're most people are now navigating work and life in a very nonlinear way. So I want to get your perspective. Why do you believe that something that you have been doing for so long and teaching others to do is now pretty much mainstream? It's kind of, it's kind of weird to think about. As you look at, you know, at least prior to pandemic times, like we have historically low unemployment. We have the stock market at the end of like a, you know, 10 year, maybe not even the end of a, you know, this 10 year bull run, like by all external metrics, like the economy is pretty strong. So why are all these people side hustling? Why do all these people need or want extra income streams? And I think that need versus want is kind of the two sides of the coin because we've seen huge increases in the cost of, you know, maybe the big three housing, healthcare and education. Um, where we hadn't seen real wages kind of keep pace with that. So you see more people side hustling out of necessity, which is kind of a, a tough place to approach it from because your options become like, if you're the person who needs to make rent next month, like your options are a little more limited if, versus if you're the person who's like, I have a decent job. I just don't see myself climbing this corporate ladder. Like you have a little more, a little more runway. Like, okay. So like, okay, if I could find my way out in six months, 12 months, 36 months, like that would be cool, but it's not super pressing. And so I think you see people um, coming at it from both angles, like this need side versus this want side. As we see, we're exposed to everybody else's highlight reels on social media. You see what is out there. You see what's possible. And you're like, I want, I want some of that. I want to use my free time more effectively, more productively to um, you know, maybe build this extra income stream that maybe I don't necessarily need, but certainly... Uh, certainly want, certainly would be nice to have. And do you think this might also be tied to people's changing definition of what career success even looks like? Oftentimes now you hear people wanting to strive for happy, for fulfillment <laughs> versus money, title, power, which was the traditional definition, or at least I think what we were believed to be told that once we achieve certain levels of income, once we achieve certain levels of title or position, that may 
kind of set us down the path of being ultimately happy or fulfilled, but really that hasn't been the case. Yeah, it's interesting. My my dad worked his whole career at one company, which is like exceptionally rare these days. My wife has been at her company, you know, since graduation, which is like 16 something years, you know. So it's been, you know, these there are kind of like exceptions to the rule where, especially where we live, we're like just on the outside or outskirts of like Silicon Valley and, and San Francisco, where you know, we've had friends who change jobs, you know, every 12, 18 months. It's like, what, what company are you at? What do you do now? Like, I, you know, I can't even keep track, but it's really interesting that it has shifted and in a lot of ways. And sometimes it's this grass is always greener, but it's also to your point of like, well, I don't necessarily need this, you know, 60 hour a week thing. If it's going to pay me more, if I'm, if I'm able to get by on this 30, 40 hours a week, like maybe I have a little more flexibility. I think that awareness and this kind of intentional spending or intentional, like intentionally constructing a lifestyle around needs versus just blindly chasing dollars or career advancements for the sake of, of doing it. I think that's probably a healthier way to way to go. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of juxtaposed against the rising costs of, of living. And so it's like, well, you still need uh, an income to get by, but trying to uh, build your life in such a way that you don't always need to be keeping up with the Joneses and inflating the lifestyle uh, or living it all the way up to your means, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, so let's get into the discussion of the side hustle, which many people do want to do, but they can often get stuck. So can you tell us what have you commonly seen? Because you've done, obviously, this has been an area that you're just a a fabulous expert and have taught so many people how to start. So what gets people stuck in starting that side hustle? And are there common myths and misconceptions people often have that inhibit them from moving forward. Oh my gosh. The biggest, the biggest myth or the biggest like mistake, I mean, not even a mistake, but like the biggest barrier that, that I see that prevents people from getting off of the sidelines and into the game is this idea that you need to have this never before seen like super innovative uh, business idea to get started where I think those types of ideas are often too heavy for liftoff. Like, I don't know how to do the next thing is I, you know, in, in college, I wanted to start like my friend, you would call him up back when you like still called people instead of texted people, like you'd call him up and it would play some, like it would play like his favorite song. Like he picked that. And I was like, how did you get that? Instead of like, you know, just a regular, like ring, like, you know, and he's like, Oh, it's called ring back tones. And you can pick it with Verizon or whoever he had. I was like, Oh, you know, my marketing sense is like, what if you could sell like advertising against that and you make your cell phone plan free or, you know, it's like, had this, it's like, I don't know the first thing about telecom. Like, I don't know how this, it was like this cool idea, but it was like, I don't know, would have probably annoyed your friends. It was too heavy for liftoff for me. Um, you don't need to have something crazy, new or innovative. Um, and in fact, it often is riskier to go down that path. Instead, where I would suggest to go is like, look at what, what people are already spending money on. And maybe you could find either uh, a way to serve a slightly different market and maybe put your own unique spin on it, but you don't have to uh, totally reinvent the wheel. And, you know, the common example is like, well, just look around. How many dry cleaners are in your town? How many uh, sushi restaurants are in your town, right? It's like the same basic business model, but they just do it slightly differently. They serve a little bit of a different audience or different segment. And they're kind of off to the races there. So I think 
uh, that's something that really prevents people from getting stuck. It's like, well, no, you don't need something totally new. You just kind of need your your confidence in a, in a way to take a business idea that's already out there that already exists and just execute on it well. I love what you said too, that it starts with understanding the landscape of maybe an area that you're interested in and, and seeing those different examples and identifying how do you make that particular area of interest or the one that you want to pursue better? Where could there be maybe some ways to make it more efficient? Or maybe there's a different angle that you could take, but it isn't starting necessarily from scratch, but looking at it through a different lens where it's optimizing something that exists. And so that's your ability to really start small, it sounds like. And so what does it really take to break through that inertia um, and make real progress in starting that side hustle? Because to your point, that first definition of I need to have this big idea could be the one that inhibits them, but it doesn't have to be that. Yeah. I, one thing that's helpful for, for me and from some audience members that I've heard from is like to adopt this experimenter's mindset. Because if you think about the scientist in the lab and like, you know, maybe the test tube <laughs> blows up in her face, it's like, uh, you know, not the ideal outcome, but, you know, just either proved or disproved her hypothesis. And it's kind of back to the drawing board. And you're not going to let that sting of failure, you know, just stop you from ever doing another experiment again. So I think that mindset is helpful in testing the waters, like testing something out, seeing what kind of reaction it gets. Another guest on the show uh, likened it to a game of chess. Like you're just kind of moving moving your pawn out into the world. Like what kind of reaction is this going to get? And that kind of dictates the strategy that you take uh, from there. I love hearing that. Coming from a technology um, background, having worked in tech for a long time, so much of what you hear is this fail, failing forward. You're learning from failure and you just have to have that ongoing growth mindset that every time you try something and, and it's okay to try. And if you fail, it means it's learning, it's data, it's information that helps you understand, okay, is that the right path to move forward or do I need to pivot and how do I make it better? Because without understanding what the outcome could be, you're not really sure in the end how to really optimize that path, right? It really is. It's kind of like the same thing. Like in going to like going to the gym or like committing to your workout or your diet plan, uh, you know, going back to your thing on inertia, it's like you, you got to kind of block off the time on your calendar to make a consistent effort towards it. You know, maybe it's half an hour every morning, maybe it's a half an hour after the kids go to bed at night, but like making it consistent because otherwise it's so easy to say, I'm never going to have an uninterrupted 36 hour block of time to like, you know, make real progress on this. But I found that like, if you can just chip away at it, you know, one day at a time. And the reason I liken it, you know, to going to the gym is kind of like the habit compounds on itself, right? You, you know, you may go kick your butt during one workout, but you're not going to lose the weight just doing that. Like you got to be uh, consistent at it. And similarly, like eating one crappy meal isn't going to make you obese, but uh, you make <laughs> a habit of it, it certainly will. And so just trying to be, you know, making the side hustle effort this habit that that becomes part of your weekly routine. Right. It's that incrementality, right? It's everything doesn't happen in one big bang. It's always in those increments. And that progress is something that we can make every day. And it's something that I fundamentally believe in where I've now redefined success as progress. When we can identify what are those wins that help us move forward 
to get to whatever bigger goal it is that we want to achieve, the more likely we're going to feel that momentum and feel confident in what it is that we're doing. When we set a bar that's so high and we don't achieve it in a time frame where many of us would like to, we can often feel depressed, dejected, and a failure. When in reality, when you are able to look at things from a big picture lens, where you started to where you've ended up one month, two months, three months, four months from that point shows you've done a lot. We don't always spend enough time to really appreciate the level of effort and work we've put in to get to where we are. So again, it to me, this progress principle, if you want to call it, is, is what's so important to help us achieve whatever goals it is we want. And you know, another word for that is from Dory's book, it's you look for those raindrops, those signs that highlight the fact that you are moving towards something that shows progress. You also build confidence at the end of the day, where you then see after doing maybe these five things that lead to the bigger goal, you're like, wow, I've actually really made a lot of progress and I can continue to get there. And now I can't not stop, right? I have to, because I know I'm you know, maybe a third or a halfway through that goal. So one thing that I know, there are various categories of side hustles, incredibly expansive. I'd love for you to go through them. And if you could give some examples of what those look like and how people can get started, that'd be great. Because I don't, I don't know if most people really know that there are such a range and, and they are in these kind of different segments. Yeah, there's. A, I mean, there's there's a ton of different options. There's 450 something uh, episodes of the Side Hustle Show to uh, go binge on. I like to think of these in kind of three broad categories, and those would be service based businesses, product based businesses, and kind of online or audience based businesses. Um, we can go into each of those. So on the product side, how a lot of people start is just decluttering their garage, their attic, their closets, like. You know, it's it's buy low, sell high, and the lowest price you can find is like, well, stuff you already have that's just sitting around collecting dust. Um, after a while, you run out of inventory doing that, so you got to get creative on your sourcing. We've had people source from yard sales, garage sales, even setting up kind of consignment deals amongst their neighborhood. Like uh, other people probably have a bunch of stuff lying around too. They don't want to be bothered with photographing it and listing it and dealing with shipping. It's like I'll do it. I'll do it for a fee, kind of a thing. Um, we've seen people, you know, really go big on this. Um, you know, the storage unit auctions. A friend of mine does like the storage wars style uh, auctions. <laughs> people like going to thrift stores, scanning books and other items. There, that's like kind of the buy low product side of things. But there's also like a fun world of you know, call them hybrid products in kind of the print on demand space. It's a really cool technology where you just upload a. Uh, an image or a clever saying to a t-shirt design and Amazon or whoever else will, you know, print and ship and fulfill this on your behalf, which is just, you know, really cool. Uh, A guest on the show was like, you know, kind of complaining about, it's it's kind of tedious to upload all these designs. He had like thousands of them. He's like, and he kind of caught himself. He's like, but my grandfather's generation had to, you know, go into the ground and and pull coal out. So all things considered, it's it's not so bad, but I like the, the product side, you know, for kind of low, low barrier to entry can be a kind of a quick way to multiply money. If you're finding these like thrift store types of fines and you're just like reinvesting that type of, of uh, profits back into it. And we've seen people go huge with 
private label products, you know, kind of inventing their own type of thing, like seeing what's uh, already popular on Amazon or another marketplace, you know, making their own tweaks and improvements to it and bringing that to market under their own brand. Some friends of ours, like, I swear this escalates really quickly. Like we're, we're dabbling in this whole uh, you know, Amazon product thing. I swear, like four months later, is a, there's a picture they post of like them riding with their kid, like the forklift at the warehouse. It's like, what, that, what happened there? You know, now all of a sudden you've got a warehouse. Um, very cash intensive, like to go that route because you're always uh, plowing that back into inventory. And that was one of the Phil Knight's book is the founder of Nike and his book, Shoe Dog. was like this fascinating story. Like I never knew any of this stuff, but it was like, plowing everything back into inventory, like always being so cash poor in this business, growth, 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 growth. Service side is you know, probably where more side hustle show guests have started than in any other business model, just for the reason of like almost no barrier to entry. You can, um, and no startup costs, like to say, I can, I can solve this problem for you. Here's my price. Like, and you find a customer, whether it's cutting grass, whether it's pressure washing driveways, whether it's, you know, writing blog articles, editing videos, editing podcasts, there's a whole world out there in the, in the freelance or local service arena. I was going to say, it sounds like for that one where you see a lot of people now choosing to go the freelance route or be a gig worker, going to Fiverr, going to Upwork and, and putting their profile there, that seems like a very natural thing for them to do because there's some skill, hard skill, or even soft skill potentially that they could monetize which they just use for those tech platforms to do so. Yeah, totally. And that's an interesting way to go. It's like, well, how do I find, how do I find customers if I'm not doing the local thing? Well, it's like, well, tap into these big existing marketplaces as best you can and try and niche down a little bit. So one popular model within the model is like kind of hitching your cart to a popular software product and saying like, oh, I'm the consulting expert or I am the, you know, I can help you do whatever you need to do in Asana or pipe drive or notion or monday.com or quickbooks or salesforce was a recent episode and the cool thing is like there's always new software coming out like somebody just gave me a demo of uh jarvis ai content writing it's like this is this is pretty slick stuff like you know so could you become an early adopter and start creating content around that hey i'm a consultant or i you know maybe you white label it and you start doing stuff um it could be interesting in that space um so i'm i'm bullish on the service uh, model, especially for newer entrepreneurs, just because it's so quick uh, to get started, test something out. If it works, great. If it doesn't, that's also fine. But one other, like on the service side, one interesting kind of sub model is like this, we'll call it like the drop servicing model, where it's not necessarily about your unique skills and expertise, but rather, you know, being a better marketer, better administrator, for for somebody else and kind of playing matchmaker because we've seen people do this in the home cleaning service where it's like i you know i can go out and find people who are expert home cleaners who've been doing this for years but uh, a lot of the entrenched competition is maybe not as technically savvy as me maybe they're not as marketing savvy where they're kind of like uh you know fax us for a quote if they have a website at all it looks like it's 20 years old it's almost okay you know maybe we can make this easier to do business with for younger homeowners or something like that. So that's an interesting uh, one as well. And then the online side, this is where I've spent the bulk of my effort and energy and attention for the last 10, 15 years. This is the you know content creation business, blogging, podcasting, YouTubing, Instagramming, TikToking, you know, whatever your platform of choice is, even email newsletters, really interesting one lately. 
um, we had a Twitter expert on just recently. It's like all these different platforms allow you to kind of build up your own audience, gain, gather people's attention by providing useful, helpful content. And then once you have people's attention, like really the world opens up to you because you can, of course, sell your own products and services, um, but you can also monetize with sponsorships, advertising, affiliate revenue, affiliate partnerships. Um, that's kind of a, a more flexible uh, business down the road. But a longer time horizon, um, a more a more speculative time horizon to get the whole thing started. You're like it may not work, and it may be a little bit longer to be able to prove that out. Do you feel that with um, the continued proliferation of these different social platforms like TikTok, and I'm sure there's going to be a new one and so forth, and you have a lot of people now who are influencers who are then choosing to create content and then monetize them um, in various ways through courses or events and so forth. So sort of taking that content uh, and, and digital route, do you feel that that is increasing at a greater rate of pace than some of the other two? And just because you're just seeing more people on that and, and realizing that potential to um, grow rapidly, even though the reality is it does take time to build that following and all, all this great content avenues from it over time. Yeah, we have an upcoming interview with a, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, a TikTok celebrity, you know, from, you know, zero to 1.6 billion followers in, in 13 months. Wow. What, what was interesting about her was she didn't just, you know, come in guns blazing, like, you know, follow me. She was a consumer of the content herself for like five or six months before she ever posted her first video. And she already had, or I don't know if she had this at the very beginning, but she had kind of the foundations laid for a broader business um, in advance. Cause like, okay, it's one thing to go viral and get a million views, but it's like another thing to like actually have that feed your business. And so she was really intentional about driving people to an email opt-in. In her case, it was like the money uh, personality quiz. This is uh, Tori from her, her first 100k.com. And, you know, that money personality quiz funneled into, you know, her products and services and, you know, extra content that she had on her site and affiliate offers that were relevant to uh, that person, depending on where they're at in their journey. And so she d- did really well with it. And she's like, you know, when you go, when you hit it, it hits hard and fast. It's like we added a hundred thousand people to our email list in a week. When this video went viral, wow! And I'm like, I'm like, I've been at this for eight years. I have a hundred thousand people. Like, what are you gonna do? What are you doing? But you know, she was relatively early on the platform. I know TikTok's been around for a while, but you know, she has been very consistent with it and had kind of this uh, foundation of it. So, if you if you see an up and coming platform, you know, you're it's almost all it's almost all upside. It's like, well, if it doesn't if it doesn't hit, you know, you're only out your time. But if you do find something that starts to take off, um, then uh, then you find yourself in this position of maybe adding a hundred thousand people to your network in a in a week. That's incredible. Well, but but what was so insightful to hear is that it was planned. That there was sounds like just this analysis that was done beforehand, an understanding of the platform, and a very clear goal in mind. It's not necessarily a random thing that you just go out there, put content, and then you believe followers will come. Just like the early days of the internet, you know, you build a site and people will come. And then all of a sudden, you're going to make all this money. Or for people in podcasting, some people are like, I just put a podcast out there and I'll be the next podcast star. In fact, it really 
does take time to build that strategic plan to understand what you want to get out of leveraging a platform or the content that you want to create and subsequently putting that plan in motion, but be very strategic about how you go going about doing it in the first place. Yeah, that one, I mean, the, the, the virality is like this weird wild card where you can't really bank on it, but you almost have to. Otherwise, it's just like, you know, if you're only showing it to your own followers, then you got no followers at the beginning. So there has to be some way to get out of your own network. And she argued that TikTok was particularly good for that because like the home feed isn't just people that you follow. It's kind of this algorithmically based thing. Oh, you might be also interested in, in this other thing. The other platform that is kind of interesting to me right now is YouTube. And that's just because it kind of is at the cross section of search and discovery, where it's very keyword focused for, you know, if you want to create a video on a specific topic, like how to do XYZ, like people would be searching for that uh, in YouTube. But it also has this like viral wildcard, like if you could show up in the suggested videos or the playing next type of playlist, you can uh, kind of punch above your weight class in terms of uh, the view count uh, over there as well. But knowing that that there is that virality piece and studying it and studying what may work and what doesn't sounds like it's so incredibly important as you lay out those plans of how the activity that you do could increase the likelihood of you catching wind versus just saying, well, I believe anything I put out there could go viral versus saying, hmm, what are examples of content or activity or things that have had that success and, and being... Um, and being more planful so you can manage and mitigate potential risks. So it is kind of, again, thinking much more strategically versus just being tactical about it. Yeah. Her three, three points that she wanted to hit were like educational content, aspirational content, and entertaining content. And like the more boxes you can check on that one, it's like, okay, the more, the more viral power it may have. It's like, okay, I can try and uh, <laughs> come up with some content ideas uh, for this. <laughs> I'm not going not gonna to be posting dancing videos. <laughs> How does somebody ultimately find the right fit with a side hustle that might align to where they want to be or reflects their passion and interest? Because there's so many different options. I don't think any of us are short of ideas at the end of the day, but getting started, sticking with them and picking which one to potentially do can be tough. So what would you say are the most important things to consider there? I think you need to, a couple of things. You need to first consider, okay, am I at least interested in this? Am I, it doesn't have to be my undying passion because I think what we found, and there's some research from Dan Pink and um, Cal Newport to kind of back this up, like passion often follows doing the work rather than the other way around. Like other people have tried to monetize their passions and then it now becomes work and it's no longer fun anymore. And it's like, ah, you don't want to necessarily destroy your passions by doing that, but something that you're interested in that you could tolerate. Like I had no interest in shoes per se. Like I I wore shoes most of the time. I was not a sneakerhead by any means, but I became passionate about the process of optimizing the various elements of running the site, like building workflows around that. So I found a way to become passionate about it over time. Same thing with podcasting, like I had zero passion for podcasting when I started. Like by definition, I had no idea what I was doing. But over the course of eight years, it, it's become a passion of mine. It's become something I, I started to identify as a podcaster uh, over the years of doing the work. You know, same thing painting houses in college. It's like 
you know, after a couple of years of doing it, you can't help but walk, you know, walk by and <laughs> like, oh, there's, I could go scrape that, you know, there's a paint job waiting to happen over there. So you go give, give go, go give those people an estimate. But the other thing to consider is like with the business model uh, that you're considering, you know, try and find somebody who's you know, three, four, five years down the path uh, of doing that thing and has been reasonably successful with it. Because you, what you want to do is like ask, okay, what is their day to day look like? Because here's somebody who has uh, done it and done it well, but what is it? What is their lifestyle like? Like, is that an outcome you would be happy with? Because, and and this is not a knock on any of these because there's a lot of like plug and play. Uh, side hustles, kind of off-the-shelf side hustles, whereas you know maybe it's shopping for Instacart or driving for Lyft or Uber Eats or something like that. It's perfect. Like you know, I can I can hit my Lyft driver in Chicago. It's like I can I can hit the button if I want to make money, and like you know that was great for him. But there's an there's a natural like limit to your earning power there because it's it's uh, it's still tied to your time, and it's a skill that you know, almost everybody has. And so there's a natural downward pressure on the prices that you could reasonably command for that. So the other thing is to think, okay, well, if I pursue this thing and uh, and I do it right and I do it well, what does success look like? You know, am I going to be happy with that outcome? And is that uh, is that moving me in the direction of my broader life goals? That resonates so much um, with me when, you know, you think about getting that input and insight from other people and perspective more than anything to get a sense of whether or not this avenue you may want to take is a good fit. Because you never know. Everybody has great ideas. But until you talk to somebody who has lived that potential path that you want to take, you don't always know. It's sort of this hypothesis. So before even starting, it sounds like too, it gives you the necessary context to help you then make that decision. Okay, this is the right side hustle to engage with at the start. Versus, oh, this sounds great. I'll just go ahead and do it. And you spend all this time, and it becomes frustrating. It's like, well, get that input first from someone who's done it. It fits. It doesn't fit. <laughs> Did you just build yourself another job, and then it right. becomes kind of a drag? If you're going to do that, make sure it's a job that you like doing, um, and and hopefully something that has some potential to to scale, either in terms of pricing power or. Uh, delegation and and uh, maybe the the reach of the audience or customer base uh, that you can go find. And in thinking about what you had said too, Dory Clark has a new book called The Long Game. And a phrase she has in there it's about optimizing for interest. You don't know, but if it's it's how you define that success. And if you pick something that you're interested in, it's not that you have to have this big idea, this disruptive, innovative idea to get started, starting with something you have interest in, that notion or that concept of optimize for interesting. We might not know what our passions are, but we know what our interests are. So if we could see what's out there, see who's doing it, is that interesting to us? Pick that path, try something, see if it works, continually optimize against it, you just never know where that may lead you. It could become a passion over time. Similar to what you mentioned about starting that online shoe business, like, wait, but it's not the shoes that was interesting. It's just, you know, the kind of this whole process is interesting. Um, and that then feeds your passion. So one thing that I know that you are passionate about, I believe, because since you continue to write books, <laughs> um, <laughs> that you've just launched your latest book uh, called $1,000, 100 Ways. What was the inspiration behind 
the book. And I think, is this your eighth one? Is that right? Or seventh or eighth one? Yeah, depending on how you count, because I like consolidated and took some down and republished others. But this is the book project that just like wouldn't die from my mind. So I first registered the domain 1k100ways.com like early 2015, maybe 2016. I was like, and I had written you know, two or three other titles in between then and now. But I was like, this one was just always in, in the back of my mind. I wanted to be able to feature and highlight some of the incredible work that members of the Side Hustle Nation community were, were getting done. And like, even if they hadn't been on the podcast yet, they still had great business ideas. They still had great business models and were still making extra money on their own terms. It's like, it would be really cool to find a way uh, to showcase those stories. And for I don't know how deep into the weeds you want to get. I thought this was going to be the easiest book project ever, right? Like I'm just going to crowdsource a bunch of answers and mash them together and boom, hit publish. I'll be done in a month. It'll be great. Um, what I found was, because I probably got 150, 200 responses, but like not all were of similar length and detail. And so it was a lot of, uh, a lot of curation, a lot of going back and forth to be like, this sounds cool. This sounds interesting, but you only gave me 150 words. Could you expand on this a little bit? How'd you get your first customers? And so that's kind of where the book, at least according to early feedback, has received some some positive words of encouragement is like people like the parallel structure of it. So every page or every profile kind of goes through the same set of questions where, well, how'd you come up with the idea? How'd you get your first customers? How much did it cost you to get started? What'd you spend that money on? How else have you marketed your business? What mistakes did you make along the way? And it's kind of interesting that the, one of the most common responses to the mistakes question was, I wish I'd started earlier. I was like, oh, that's really telling because it's it kind of parallels the advice that a lot of people give at the end of Side Hustle Show episodes. What's your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation? Ah, just get started. Just just start. Which like, if you don't know, if you don't have an idea, like it's super frustrating advice. Like I, I would, I just don't know what to start. And I think the, the big takeaway is it, it truthfully doesn't matter. And you just have to kind of pick a thing because that will lead you down the path. That will get you off the sidelines into the game. And uh, and you never know what kind of conversations and ideas uh, tend to stem from that. And I'd add to that too. It's picking a thing, but to your earlier point, having that mindset, that's okay that you start, it doesn't work out, but you just keep on going because you just never know what's going to be on the other side. So I'd love to transition and ask how your definition of career success has evolved from your early days in the workforce to now, because you've had quite a career trajectory. You've done so many different things. And so inevitably, a lot of us, the way we look at our work and life does evolve. So love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, it's, it's funny, like career success was was never about climbing the corporate ladder. Like, I have very little desire to do that, even from you know my my first days as an entry level employee. But career success has long been the ability to take off on a random Tuesday and go skiing if there's a storm. The ability to not have to ask a boss for permission to take vacation. I, I just and and he you know for the sake of disclosure, like. He never said no. Like when I was working corporate, it just felt humiliating in a way to like have to ask, like, "Hey, is it okay? Like next month if I take this Friday off?" Like it just it felt weird as an adult to like not be in control of my own calendar. And so that's probably the guiding definition of of success today. Like, do I get to spend 
the majority of time, because I believe it's a sliding scale, like nobody is probably like at a hundred percent, if you have family and other responsibilities, like I do, I do whatever I want, whenever I want all day, every day. It's like, okay, you know, let's dial that back to the constraints <laughs> of, of your reality. But like, if you could spend most of your waking hours, you know, on stuff that you have chosen um, and prioritized, I think that is uh, is a good marker of success. And what do you feel was most important to progress the way you really wanted so you could achieve the right fit for you personally and professionally? I think the biggest thing is persistence. Because if you look at the metrics from the early days of really any of these businesses, um, from the shoe business, getting you know tens of visitors a day, like in terms of uh, paid search traffic, to the virtual assistant site, maybe making you know, a few hundred dollars in its first year um, to the side hustle show, you know, you know, 50 downloads in a day was like, oh, you know, a big, a big day. Like oh, I, was I know reason- that feeling. <laughs> I was like reasonably <laughs> confident. It's kind of scary. It's like, I, I think I have gone outside my immediate circle of influence now. Like I, I'm talking to strangers on the internet now. Um, but if you look at those metrics in a vacuum, you're like, this is never, this is never going to turn into anything, but it's like the persistence and consistency to, uh, to stick with it, that really made the impact really in, in all of those different businesses. A lot of the things that we ultimately want to pursue in our lives, what that definition of success is, doesn't happen overnight. It is constantly sticking with it, having that conviction that no matter what you do, you're going to learn from it. And being okay with the fact that what you start off with may not be what you end up with and giving yourself the permission to try and see what sticks. As one of my past podcast guests have said, persistence beats resistance. It's something that rings so true, yet it can be really hard for us to stick to. But if we do keep that in mind that this is a long game, we're going to be able to reach our goal. And to close, what's the best work or career advice you've ever received? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, it wasn't particularly career advice, but I guess it works that way. We were rebuilding our deck at home when I was a kid. And you know, my dad's advice was, it's not a piano. And what he meant by that was like, yeah, we, we still want it to be good, but it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be so precise that like everything is tuned perfectly. So, you know, if this board had a slightly bigger gap in it or whatever. So it's like, he still cared about quality, but done was better than perfect. And I think that was the the lesson that has, has stuck with me for a lot of different projects to, well, put it out there. You can always uh, make adjustments or, or fix it later if, if necessary. The uh, phrase that comes to my mind is perfect is the enemy of good. <laughs> right. And the thing is still standing. So it was, it was good enough. Right. And finally, what's the best way listeners can connect with you? Of course, we'd love to have you tune into the Side Hustle Show that's um, available in all your favorite podcast apps. SideHustleNation.com slash ideas is a good place to start if you are and just wanted to see what else is out there in text format. This is my you know no opt-in required big list of uh, ways to make extra money. Hopefully get the creative juices flowing over there. And also your book. How can people get your new book? That is at 1k100ways.com. Wonderful. So thank you so much for being on the show, sharing this valuable perspective of what it takes to get that side hustle started, the things to think about, but the importance of 
persistence for those of us who want to have that control and flexibility in our lives such that really work and fit into our life. There's obviously that way to do so. So thank you, Nick. Thanks, Connie. Nick Loper is a perfect example of what I'm talking about when I talk about a career mashupper. At one point in his career, he parallel pathed 15 different projects, businesses, and products to form his own mashup all outside of a nine to five job. These vary from advertising and copywriting to audiobook publishing and dividend investing. Nick's patchwork career approach is pretty simple. If he's interested in it, he tries to make money doing it. Nick, Dory, and the guests we'll be learning from over the coming weeks are all successful career mashuppers who have found that their knowledge and skills are easily transferred to adjacent fields and even to completely different ones. Each new project is not a reinvention that replaces all that came before it. Rather, it's an addition, a supplement, a mashup. It's not only diversity of income, it's diversity of skills, roles, and interests within a single job. It's a mashup within a job or a mashup of jobs. This gives you the breadth and depth in what you do and how you do it, which in the end differentiates you from others. Yet to get there, it does take a plan and realize you will be iterating on your plan along the way as you learn what sticks. The goal is to find what fits you best, gives you meaning, and expresses the unique and multifaceted person that you are while hedging against risk. This mashup lets you be you in all the ways that you are, and redefining success as progress gives you the confidence to keep moving forward and testing what might work best for you. Thanks for listening to Strategic Momentum. To connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn at Connie W. Steele or on Instagram at Connie Wang Steele. If you've liked what you heard, please follow the show and share this episode with friends and colleagues. You can also get show notes, links, and more tips and advice from this episode at strategicmomentum.co. I'm Connie Steele, and you've been listening to the Strategic Momentum Podcast.